Welcome to Whatever It Takes Radio, helping you do whatever it takes to succeed in marriage and in life. I'm your host, Paul Speed, and today I'm sitting in the studio with my lovely wife, Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Hey, hon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. Well, I know we're both excited about um, returning to this topic that we did several months ago on overcoming fear. This is part two of that message, and um, it's an important topic. I think we saw that as we walked through the um, areas that it fear is negative in our lives last time. But from your perspective, again, with what you do with hope and working with lots of women, why is this an important topic to you? Well, I have found, Paul, that most of the time, the number one enemy that a woman faces in her life is fear. And not just women, obviously, men too, as we talked about in the first uh, part one of this, that you also as a man have faced fear. And But women really do face fear on an everyday basis, it seems like. And so... Several years ago, back, I think it actually was like six years ago, as I began to ponder and look at the different fears that I had in my life and how they were affecting me, I set out to write a message to be able to give to women over on overcoming fear. And the Lord is always so funny. He, he loves to give me a story for every message that uh, I'm to give. But I don't always like the stories, and so, uh, but I don't get a choice in them, I guess. And so when I was getting ready to write that message, we were actually down in Destin, Florida, with our children, which is where you grew up and your mother still lives there. And, and uh, we were visiting her and went down to the beach. And one of the things that you had asked me uh, years ago after you came clean is that you wanted me to start enjoying the children with you. And so I would always go to the beach and sit underneath the, the umbrella and read my Bible, read my book and journal. That was a vacation to me. Yeah. But yeah, you wanted me to get in the water and enjoy the water with the kids. And everyone knows that I'm not a good swimmer. So for me, that's kind of scary. But I had made a decision that I would um, honor you and, and start to do that. So I started leaving my book at home and when we go to the beach and really started to get out and enjoy the kids and make memories. So we made a memory all right, or at least I made a memory all right on that trip. Uh, we were out in the water, had the boogie boards and the waves were pretty high that day. And I remember you telling the kids, okay, y'all watch daddy, and one, two, three, when I say three, we all jump on our boogie boards. And so uh, there we were, you said, one, two, three, jump. Everyone jumped on top of their boogie boards and began to go into the shore. And I jumped on top of my boogie board, but I didn't go to the shore. Instead, I started going backwards. And in just a matter of seconds, I was being pulled straight out into the this ocean. And so... I was just terrified, and as I could see you guys getting smaller and smaller as you were going towards the shore and I was going backwards, I realized, if I don't do something quick, I'm going to Cuba. <laughs> I am headed to Cuba. And so I began to panic. I was kicking as hard as I could, and I was, you know, slinging my arms, and, and I was just not going anywhere. And so I realized that, yes, indeed, I was in a riptide. And so I started remember, trying to remember those stupid little signs that are all up and down the beach that say, beware, riptide, beware, riptide. And of course, I never studied the sign. Uh, all those years of going there, I saw it, but I never really read it. And so I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. And finally, you turned around and you saw me going out. And so you started to paddle out there near me. And when you finally got within about 50 feet of me, I remember just, you know, yelling. I was starting to cry. And I was like, I can't get in. I'm kicking. I'm not going anywhere. I'm scared. Please come get me. And then you did something um, that my, the listeners are probably going to want to 
uh, strangle you right now. At least the women are going to when I tell them what you did. You yelled at me and you said, Jenny, no, I'm not coming to get you. And I'm like, oh, Paul, please, what do you mean you're not going to come get me? I can't do it. I need you to come. I need you to bring me in. And you said, no, I'm not going to come out there. Get on top of your boogie board and start paddling with your arms. And I'm screaming and yelling, but I can't. I'm trying. I'm trying and I can't do it. I need you to come get me and tow me in. And you refused. And so there I was in the midst of my panic, screaming for my husband to save me, and you were refusing. And so finally you yelled at me again and you said, Jenny, get on top of your board and start paddling with your arms or I'm leaving you. And you turned around and you started to go to the shore. And I know that sounds like a horrible story. And like I said, the women in the audience are probably ready to strangle you at this point. But the reality is you knew something that I didn't know. You were a lifeguard when I met you in, in our college days. And you knew that in uh, your life-saving courses, they tell you never approach a drowning person because they will take you under with them. And so you knew that if you came out there to where I was, I was probably going to take you under and we were both going to drown or we were going to both end up in Cuba, one of the two. Right. And so you kept a safe distance and began to go towards shore. Well, obviously, at that point, I came to my senses, and I realized you were serious. You were not going to rescue me. And so I stopped and was able to listen to this voice of reason, which mm -hmm. was your voice at that time, listen to the voice of reason, and I was able to get completely on top of the boogie board. And I found that you were right. As I got completely on top of it, I was able to use my arms to paddle into shore. What I what didn't realize before is that when you guys jumped up on your boogie board, you went you got completely on top of it. Mm -hmm. And when I jumped, I just kind of halfway jumped on it. And so my legs were hanging underneath the water. And in a riptide, the top of the water is going into shore and underneath the surface of the water, it's going out. And so because my legs were dangling, the undertow, uh, the riptide was pulling my legs out. But once I got completely on top, it was no problem and I could paddle in. But the point of this story that the Lord began to show me is that we as women, when we're in fear, we begin to panic. And when we, we panic, those around us, our husbands, our children, the people in our, our friendships, people in our lives, they know that if they get close to us, we are going to take them down with us. And so our husbands and our children will resist us when we are being driven by a spirit of fear. They'll keep a safe distance and stay away from us because they are afraid of what our fear is going to do to them. Right, and I think that's um, probably human nature that we see someone who's in fear and it either puts us in fear and then it causes us to repel them and to move away, uh, which is usually what happens. And um, so I think, you know, the three things that we pointed out in part one, that fear binds us, which is what you just said. Here you are, you begin to panic, fear begins to grip your heart, and now you're bound by that. Um, the second thing we talked about is you lose the ability to be able to discern and you are unable to do that. I'm trying to instruct you and in what to do to save yourself which I would have been happy to rescue you. I mean, I don't know if I yelled at you that mad, but nevertheless, 
we had to get the point across and you're right, but you had lost the ability to discern how do I get out of this situation. And the third thing is that fear causes us to control. We start controlling people around us. Like you just said, we want to control circumstances because we think that's going to make us feel safe. When in reality, fear was binding you in such a way that it was causing you to continue, like you said, to go further and further away. So I think, um, I'm excited about this today because I know our listeners are interested in knowing how do we overcome fear? In other words, what is the, the catalyst that can help move you from that place of fear going to Cuba, like you might say, <laughs> on, your, on your boogie board and, um, and able to turn that and to be able to come back to the shores with your family, which is obviously what happened. So what would you say? What would you say is that key to overcoming fear? Well, the key to overcoming fear is trust, but it's not just trust. It's trust in the right person. Hmm. You know, that's explain that. Okay. That's what gets us in trouble is that we put our trust in the wrong person. We put our trust in the wrong thing. We begin to trust in ourselves. We begin to trust in, uh, as a woman, it's very common to find uh, our tendencies to trust in our husbands. And not only is that dangerous, it's also um, not fair to them. A man can't handle the pressure of a wife who puts all her trust in him. Mm -hmm. And so it puts stress on a marriage. We put our trust in our abilities to, to you know, create wealth or our jobs, everywhere that our trust shouldn't be. Our trust should be in God and in God alone. And so I like to say on my women's weekends, that there's a real difference between confidence versus trust, that I, it's okay for me to have confidence in you as my husband. Confidence is something that's that's built, that the more and more we prove ourselves tr uh, worthy, or we will have confidence in one another. But how does that differentiate between trust, confidence and trust? Well, confidence is, I believe in you. Okay, you've proven yourself over time. Like people will say to me, Jenny, do you trust that Paul isn't looking at pornography anymore? And I say, and they say, do you trust in him? And my answer is, no, I don't trust in Paul. And they always look at me really, really yeah. strange. And they go, what, right. do you, what do you mean you don't trust in Paul? And I said, I don't trust in Paul. That's what got me into the mess that I was in in the first place. <laughs> I put all my trust in my husband. And so when he failed me, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. So what I uh, came to understand, the Lord taught me, was it's not about putting trust in you. It's about having confidence in you because you have proven over the last years that you are not going to fail. You're not going to go back to pornography. So I have full 100% confidence in you. But my trust is in God. It's not in you. It's in God that even if you did fail, God's going to take care of me. And so the difference is confidence says, I believe in you, but trust says, I surrender to you. It's a hmm. giving myself over to you in, a, in an unhealthy way. Right. You know? And so I can have confidence in you, but I need to trust in God. Right. And scripture, that reminds me of Proverbs chapter 3. I think verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And in other words, not put your trust in somebody or um, some, I know it, it, 
we can kind of get lost on those two words, but I understand what you're saying. In other words, my confidence can mean you, I, I have confidence that you're going to love me, that you're going to be a good wife, that you're going to do the things that um, are kind of your duties or obligations around the house, caring for the kids and doing things and so forth. But my trust has to be in God that even if my wife doesn't, God's going to take care of me. In other words, it's a different level of trust. I'm putting my security in God, not my security in you and how you perform or whether you perform or not. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that as I work with women all the time that are in marriages that are going through crisis and difficulty, uh, I share with them that, you know, when I married you, I was a very confident woman of God. I was single. The Lord had done a great work in me. And my relationship with the Lord was really, really strong. And I completely trusted him. My parents had died when I was younger. And so I didn't have a family to really trust in. And so it was just me and Jesus. But then when I met you and I, we got married, somehow something happened in my emotions and my mind. And I began to trust in you instead of God. I began to look to you in an unhealthy way. Now, some of our listeners are going to be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We as women are supposed to trust in our husbands. We're supposed to submit to them. We're supposed to. And yes, I understand that, uh, that we're supposed to look to them for, for different things in a healthy way. But there's an unhealthy way right. that we begin to look to our husbands instead of God. And that's what I did. I looked to you instead of God. And it put a lot of pressure on you. You had a wife who was just looking at you going, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me, lead me, lead me, lead me. And that's right. not what you wanted. Right. You wanted to help me that was going to come alongside you and help you to be all that God wanted you to be and, and had designed you to be. But instead, I was just looking for this leader instead of coming alongside of my leader. Right. I think there's... A Boy, my mind is flooded with lots of examples of people that we know in certain situations. But when we begin to put our trust in, and it can be anything, it can be in your own abilities. In other words, to be able to accomplish a task or do something. Um, it's good to have confidence in those things. In other words, I want to have confidence that my kids are going to do right or they're going to obey me. But I don't want to put my trust in them and then they don't obey me. And then suddenly it's like my identity was wrapped up in whether my kids did right or wrong. And now I come crashing down. I'm a horrible father. I can't do anything wrong. And I didn't do anything wrong because my kids made a choice to do something wrong. But because my trust was in them, my world comes crashing down. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we say on our weekends is that whoever you give the power to validate you, you give them the power to destroy you. Hmm. And, uh, and that's not necessarily just a person, but it can be things. If you give your job the power to validate you, um, you give your job the power to destroy you. Sure. You know, we look at that in uh, our own lives. I know that raising my children, I really look to my kids to validate me. I would look at them, and if they were doing well, that made me feel good about who I was. Or I look to you. If uh, you and I were doing well, I felt good about who I was. And it was a really dangerous place to be because I was putting my trust in you. I was putting my trust in my children. And so when things didn't go well, all of a sudden I was shipwrecked. And so I've really learned over the years that I have to allow God to validate me. I have to put my trust in God and in God alone. And again, can I have confidence in you? Yes. Can I have confidence in the children? Yes. But my trust has to be in God. It seems so easy to put our trust in abilities or in people. I don't know, maybe there's something about us that um, 
kind of like there's maybe there's somebody to blame, I guess, if something goes wrong. I don't know why we do it as humans, but I like this concept of putting our trust in God. But how does somebody do that? How does somebody put their trust in God? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, we have to, number one, get rid of the what ifs. You know, so many times we live in the what ifs. What if this happens? What if it, 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 you know, my husband leaves me? What if I get into the retirement years Mm -hmm. and I have no money? You know, I know that recently uh, we saw a gentleman who his family, one of their big complaints was that he never spends time with them in making memories as a family. And it's because he's so consumed with fear that there won't be enough money when they retire. And so he spends all of his time with work, uh, making sure he's bringing in a great income. And then he's putting all that money into his retirements, 401ks. And so the family doesn't vacation. They don't, he's very, very uh, financially frugal. And so all this is coming from fear. And it's really affected his family because they, they look at this and they're like, Dad, we want you. We don't care that there's a big bank account, you know, to leave us an inheritance. We want memories with you. And so as we began to walk through this with him and his family, we were able to help him recognize that it was coming from a motivation of fear. It looked like on the outside, well, he's just a great provider. Wow, look at this man. He's got a great job. He's putting away a lot of money and making sure that they're financially taken care of. But in reality, he was being driven by fear. We said in our first part of this series that fear drives and faith leads. And so here's an example of a man who's being driven by fear instead of being led by faith. And it's really affected his children. Hmm. No, that's really, really good. The what ifs, obviously, they lead to fear. And um, if you would have thought, well, what if I end up in Cuba that day before you came out <laughs> on the boogie board, maybe you would have never got on it. Right. And um, so, again, that's what it does. Again, it, which binds us and does the causes us to want to control and so forth, like we said in the last podcast. And here, here's the thing is God will give you grace for everything you'll ever face in your life. Right. But only when it happens. Hmm. Because if it hasn't happened yet, it's not a reality. Right. And so what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to live in, in a, a world that isn't even reality. He wants to bring fear through the what ifs. I love what Corey Ten Boom says. She says that grace is like a train ticket and God will give you that ticket when you need it. Right. And so you don't get the ticket to ride the train until you get to the train station. <laughs> And so we have to realize that when the enemy starts bombarding us with these thoughts of what ifs, you know, what if you lose your job and you're not able to provide for your family? What if your child, you know, runs away and, you know, leaves home and gets a girl pregnant and, you know, we just start getting wrapped up in all the what ifs and we end up consumed with fear and bound by fear. Right. And so I like to say on my weekends that there is no grace no grace for something that has not taken place. There is no grace for the what ifs. Right. But God gives grace for what is. Hmm. So true. It is so true. And I look at so many areas in my life where I have been bound by fear, whether it was in a job um, because I thought something might happen or I thought somebody didn't like me or did like me. Um, we do it in relationships all the time. Um, fear of the future. Um, the example you just gave of that gentleman, I mean, fear is binding us and it's all based on the what ifs. Well, this has been really good so far, but I know we're getting ready to get to talk about three 
things you need to do in order to overcome fear. And we're going to do that in just a minute, but we're going to take a short break. So stick around and we'll be right back. Ladies, do you feel overwhelmed, frustrated, or hopeless? Are there days that you feel you simply can't go on? Is your pain so deep that you truly don't know how to resolve it? I've been there, and I want you to know that help and healing are possible. I'm Jenny Speed, founder of Whatever It Takes Ministries. Join me at the next Four Days to Hope for Women, and you'll find the answers you desperately need. For more information, go to whateverittakesministries.com or call 800-605-1875. Okay, welcome back. And um, we've been talking about fear and overcoming fear and how that's based on trusting in the Lord. And um, we want to talk now about three things we need to do in order to overcome fear. And Jenny, I think of the first one, and it's so often the case with lots of things in our lives, we have to identify it. Identify the fear. Yes, I say um, that you cannot defeat your enemy until you identify him. So teach someone to identify their enemy, you give them the power to destroy him. Mm. And so the first key is identifying your fear. Asking yourself, what am I afraid of? I know in the first podcast on on the fear series, we said that there was a time when I woke up one morning, I was uh, struggling, You you could feel it, you could tell something was going on with me and you wanted to run out the door and just get away because you, you knew, uh-oh, something's wrong, I've done something. But instead you came to me and you said, Jenny, what are you afraid of right now? And when you did that, I just melted and I was able to share a fear that I had woken up with that morning that I was dealing with. And so the key is identifying the fear. What am I afraid of? And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, here's the fear, here's what I'm afraid of, so where am I placing my trust? Right. You know, like in the the, um, example of the man who was struggling with the fear about the future and making sure he had enough money in retirement, he had to ask himself, where am I placing my trust? Well, I'm placing it in my ability to create wealth for my future. Hmm. No, that's really, really good. So it's identifying the fear first. The second thing is identify where you're putting your trust. In other words, like in that situation, um, that's good. So... I like to go back to your beach story because I'm thinking about it. So your your fear was, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up in Cuba. In other words, I'm going to drown the worst case scenario, the what ifs. That wasn't true, but that's what your reality was at the time. The second thing, you were putting your trust in either you. in me saving you. Absolutely. And that was That's what I thought my answer was. If Paul will just come out here and get me, I will be okay. Hmm. And so I'm screaming and yelling at you and I'm panicking in fear. Had I been able to, to, to stop and put my trust in God and just say, okay, Lord, help me. God, what do I do? And calm my emotions. Hmm. I would have come to reasoning and known that I need to get up on top of the boogie board. But because I was in panic, right. and that's what happens to us is that our emotions overtake us. Sure. When we're being driven by fear, the emotions overtake us. They begin to scream at us all the what ifs, you know, you know, what if, what if, what if you keep going back, you know, out, you're going to drown. And so I needed to stop, calm myself down, ask the Lord, God, help me, Father. What do I do? Put my trust in him. And then he would have been able to given me the answer. Hmm. Hmm. That's really good. Um, and that leads to the third things. The first thing is identify the fear. The second thing is identify what am I trusting in? 
that's leading and giving power to this fear because that's really what it does. But um, the last thing, and it's a very good question, um, which we use a lot of times in coaching or counseling others is, when is the first time you have felt this fear before? In other words, go back and look for memories or times, like a timestamp in your life. When did I feel this way before? Yeah, that's really a good question because often our fears have a historical reference point. Now, you know, there's normal fears. You know, you see a fire and you have a normal fear that if I stick my hand in that sure. fire, it will burn me. That's a normal fear. What we're talking about today is fears that aren't normal. They're unhealthy fears, right. not healthy fears, unhealthy fears. And so a lot of our unhealthy fears have historical reference points to a place and time in our lives where something happened and fear grabbed a hold of us. And so even in the whole fear of drowning, you know, that day on the boogie board, yeah, I'm going out and I'm being pulled out in a riptide, but I'm panicking because there really is a historical reference point. When I was 10 years old, uh, I was swimming with friends and I didn't realize that they had swam out to a part of the lake that was a lot deeper and I couldn't swim. So I just kind of dog paddled. That's all I could do. And so I kind of dog paddled out to them and I went to put my feet down on the ground and there was no ground. Hmm. I didn't realize they weren't standing on the, the, you know, the bottom of the lake. And so I began to drown or go under and um, I was rescued and so everything was okay. But so here I am now, a woman in her 30s or late 30s, early 40s, and now I'm experiencing all the emotions that I had from the past when I was 10 years old. And so we have to sometimes go back and identify uh, where fear came in and is there a historical reference point that we need to pray through right. and ask God to break any control that was given in our lives to this spirit of fear? And so it's not always something like that. There's not always a historical reference point. But if I see a woman who's just really fearful, like she's got just a lot of fear going on in her life that's really unhealthy and out of the usual, there's usually a childhood trauma that came in her life Um that allowed this fear in. You know, I'm sitting here, Paul, and I'm thinking of just so many stories sure. of women. Uh, I can remember a, a woman one time where uh, her marriage was falling apart, and every time I would get with her and I would try to help her sort through the marriage issues, I couldn't even talk to her because she was so hysterical. She would just be crying and crying and go talking 90 miles an hour, and I couldn't get her to calm down so that we could address the issues. Mm. And so finally, my team and I were praying with her one time and uh, asked, try, and I told her, I said, you know, I feel like there is a spirit of fear that has control of you, and we really need to pray through that. Can I just ask you this question? When was the first time you ever experienced fear in your life? And it was really sad because um, she bowed her head and we prayed and asked the Lord to bring his Holy Spirit and for his Holy Spirit to remind her, to bring to her memory the first time that fear entered her heart. And she began to weep and cry and said, um, when my grandfather molested me. Mm -hmm. And boy, here she was an adult woman and she had been living with these hysterical controlling fears her whole life because at the age of, I think it was five or six, Fear came in as a result of being molested by her grandfather. 
and it had never been dealt with. So we were able to pray with her through that, and I actually just saw her last weekend. It's yeah. been about four years, and she is doing amazing. She can clearly hear the voice of God and follow Him now without giving in to these hysterical fears. Right, because oftentimes the, when the enemy would bring that fear or that familiar feeling, like you said, it takes us right back to that historical reference point, and then, boy, the... the fear takes over. I mean, it just overwhelms us at that point. So first thing is to identify it. In other words, what is this fear? What is this I'm afraid of right now? The second thing to overcome it is to see what am I trusting in that's leading to it? Where am I putting my trust in my, in my abilities and who I am and my um, personality, whatever it might be, um, or in someone else or circumstances. And the third thing is when's the first time I felt this way to be able to identify that and go back and pray through that so that you recognize that that's really what's triggering it from the beginning. So I just want to add here, right as we close those, a very important point, and that's that sometimes fear is rooted in a historical event, a time where a hurt or wound came into our lives, but then other times fear is there because we have given the enemy ground through sin in our lives. And I think that's really important to, to be able to recognize that if you're struggling with fear, you need to ask yourself, number one, have I given the ground, the enemy ground because I'm participating in an activity or living a lifestyle that's allowing Satan in? And so there's no use us praying against a spirit of fear when we're looking at pornography or when we're cheating on our wife or as a woman, if you're hiding money or doing something you know in your marriage that you know your husband doesn't want you to do and you're hiding it well obviously the enemy's going to be given ground to bring fear so i i don't want to skip over that because that's important yeah no i totally agree on that because that's from our own testimony um you know my hidden sin gave place to fear and fear was doing all those things it was binding me it was causing me not to be able to discern as we shared in the first podcast and I was controlling everything, trying to control everything in my life, lest I be exposed. In other words, my hidden sin, instead of bringing it to the light as, and being able to walk through this and identify it, I hid it and therefore it controlled me. So, well, this has been great, Jenny. I want to wrap up and um, I think our listeners should have gotten a really good handle today on what can they do to overcome fear. So um, I appreciate you talking about this today. And um if you have been listening and you've got further questions and you want to know more about Whatever It Takes Ministries or how we can help you, please contact us through our website or call us at 336-310-5050. And thank you again for joining with us today. And until next time, remember, your life can be different if you're willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes.